when uh, Ben called me up or texted me, I can't remember which it was, a couple months ago, and he said, um, July 12th, what's it look like on your schedule? Frantically looked at my schedule. I said, ah, boy, I can't come up with anything right now. So uh, he said, what about filling in, doing some preaching? I said, you know what, the Lord has laid a couple of things in my heart, and yeah, that sounds like a, a, a good idea. I, I'd like to share them with everybody. Uh, <laughs> he said, well, we're going to be kind of doing that Psalms thing during the summer, so we'd like you to stay with the theme of Psalms, if you would. And I thought, well, okay, well, there's 150 of them. I'll just pick one out. And so I said, well, I'll just pick one out. And he said, well, <laughs> the funny thing is I took that one already. Um, I, really, I cherry-picked all of the good ones, so I'm... Um, just wondering if you could uh, maybe pick a different one. And I poured over probably 50 different psalms just asking the Lord to speak to me about one of them. And, and I had narrowed it down to three or four. And then a couple of weeks ago, he said, well, we kind of would like, uh, sir, sir, so, excuse me, whose kid is this? Right there, right under that one. Okay, and right under this one, collect our money, all right? <laughs> right here, right here, right here. Do we need to get your eyes checked? Do you see it? All right, good. Don't rip it. Are you going to get the other one too? Or are you just going to do a half job again? Right here. Right here. That's it. Okay, can we go have a seat? Are you sure you're not in the second grade? Anyway, I'd narrowed it down to a couple of them. And, uh, and Ben said, hey, we need to know which one you're going to do. And we jokingly talked about doing Psalm 119, but being the longest book or chapter of the Bible, I, I thought we'd take all morning uh, doing that one. So I steered away from that one. And, and as I've been going over Psalm 145, I've really, the Lord has really impressed upon me the importance of that psalm. And... Uh, and I'd like to share that with you this morning. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this glorious day where we can get together and worship your name as a corporate body, dear Lord. And we can learn a little bit more about you so that when we leave this building today, we can take you with us. Because your word is portable, dear Lord. It's hidden in our hearts so that we don't sin against you. But it's also in our hearts so that we can share it with others. And we just pray that any distraction this morning is, uh, is, is not a factor, dear Lord, that it's just turned into praise to you. And we just pray that uh, you take hold of this sermon from start to finish, that anything I say, even though it may be jumbled and unintelligible to certain individuals, dear Lord, that it's your Holy Spirit that will make it perfectly clear. And we pray this all in your name. Amen. So, I've entitled the, uh, my sermon, uh, Forever is a Long Time. And because I didn't want to upset the template that Ben has set forth for us, he has usually started these uh, examinations of uh, a psalm with a quote. 
So I'm going to bring one your way as well. Um, so if you're expecting some deep theological exposition on this psalm, I think you've probably come to the wrong place, and hopefully you can find one on iTunes. But we're going to start with a quote from Dr. Seuss. Did you ever have a feeling there's a wasket in your basket, or a neuro in your bureau, or a wasset in your closet? Sometimes I feel quite certain there's a jerton in the curtain. Sometimes I have a feeling there's a zlock behind the clock. And the reason why I'm starting with this quote today is I'd like you all to open up an actual Bible, especially one of these Red Pew Bibles, page uh, 524. And I'm not going to put it on the screen, so you're actually going to have to open the Bible to see it. And if you look at the very bottom of this uh, psalm, and you look at the third footnote there, it says, this psalm is an acrostic poem, each verse beginning with the successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Now, I started with Dr. Seuss because... I've read his work so much over the last eight years. And every time I read some of this stuff, I just think, you're kind of cheating, dude. You're making up words. Yes, they rhyme, but you're making up words. How fair is that? If you just get stuck, you make up a word. And this is one of those things where I know that's just the way I'm built, And I've read these hundreds of times, but I still just can't get over the fact that Dr. Seuss is somewhat cheating a little bit when he's making these world-renowned poems. And it's one of those same things that I still struggle with whenever we sing the song, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him, or and or. I still sing over and over just because in my mind... (laughs) I can't get back past the fact that that's really the word we want to say. So putting that into context, remember, this is an acrostic poem, Psalm 145. This is a song of praise of David. This is the, uh, an acrostic poem, and, and for those who don't quite understand what an acrostic poem is, brought up this definition for you. It is a uh, poem that uses the letters and a topic word to begin each line. And all the lines of the poem should relate to or describe the poem. Like this one, sun shines brightly up in the sky, nice and warm on my face to describe sun. Now how this poem, Psalm 145, is so much different than something that Dr. Seuss does is that David did not cheat. He used every single letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And an acrostic poem, by the way, I have to refer to Dr. Google from time to time this week, an acrostic poem back in the day was a big deal, a huge deal. You have to think that we're talking about a time period that was probably 1000 B.C., So, 
when you're talking about a piece of literature or a piece of paper, it didn't really exist. So whenever you get a worship folder each, each and every Sunday here, this is a huge luxury back in 1000 B.C. So what they used, uh, why acrostic poems were so beneficial, was that they were usually done by people who were wordsmiths, people who were really good with the English language, people who couldn't cheat, if you will. They had to really hone their skill and come up with an acrostic poem. And the reason for that is when they got together as a group of people, they couldn't just hand them out a piece of paper that said God's word or the poem or the message of the day. They had to put it into a form that was like an acrostic that was memorable so that they could memorize it and take it with them and recite it to other people. So that's why the acrostic poem was such a huge deal back in David's time. And he did use the Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 letters of the old school Hebrew alphabet. 21 verses in Psalm 145. So the one that was skipped was the one, I don't know how to pronounce it correctly, uh, none, 50 there. And if it's anything like the English alphabet, you could kind of understand how that got skipped, where you go H-I-J-K-L-M-N-O, you know, just kind of skip over it because it just kind of becomes a blur right in the middle. But there's also the chance that through the years, maybe that one got forgotten or maybe it wasn't transcribed uh, correctly. Um, There's all those possibilities. But the genuine message theme here is still there. David used every single letter of the Hebrew alphabet to start his acrostic poem because he knew that this was a very important thing that he had to pass along even though he could not write a book and give it to everybody. So our historical context. So somewhere between 1000 and 500 BC, this became part of the book of Psalms. And 1000 would have been David himself putting it in. A 500, some Bible scholars think that maybe Nehemiah found some of David's writings and put them together and, and included this in the 145th Psalm. And it was uh, the last psalm in the the book of Psalms, the Psalter, if you will, that uh, is actually credited to David. And that's why some scholars think this might have actually been David's favorite psalm. And that's the one we're studying today. Let's read it. Psalm 145. Great is the Lord, a song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, And on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all. And his mercy is over all that he has made. All of your works shall give thanks to you, 
O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. As we uh, study Psalm 145, there are three or four things that really jump out to me. And unfortunately, they don't just come in sequential order like, like I like to see them. That's why I like studying the letters to the Ephesians or Colossians or the Philippians. It's a little more sequential, a little easier for me to study. I don't have to work so hard at it, I guess. But if you look at Psalm 145, the thing that jumps out right at the beginning to me is that we are to praise God with a purpose. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Doesn't have anything in here, either the Hebrew version or our English translation that says, Great is the Lord because you made me happy today. It's great are you, Lord, and your greatness is unsearchable. Verse 4, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, And on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. I think David makes it clear here that it's not just I. He uses I and they. And the context here that David uses is that I will be singing your praises forever, but I will also join with everybody else, and we will corporately sing your praises together. And I believe that's important because he's saying whenever we lose focus on ourselves and we join together and all focus on God, we can maybe forget about our daily troubles for just a little bit and really focus on what is important. So that's why David stresses that I will meditate on you, Lord, but we and they will also do the same thing because that is important. The other thing that stands out to me is that David recognizes the true king. 
and that the, the reason why we join together as a group, and for us it's every Sunday, but the reason why we join together as a group to extol God is because he is the true king. If we turn back to that verse number one, I will extol you, my God and king, and bless your name forever and ever. Now, the original Hebrew on this passage, instead of my God and king, it actually says the king. Not just a king, but the king. And and that's significantly important because clearly if this is a psalm from David and it's the last psalm that is clearly credited to him, he's probably toward the end of his reign, his 40-year reign over Israel, and he's going down as a mighty king. And the history books have him as a mighty king. And for him to just step back and say, hey, I was pretty good, but I'm not the king. Hey, everybody, this is important for you to understand. I'm putting this in poem form so you understand I am not the king. And he also says, I will bless your name forever. And because we just don't understand the cultural context of this, and clearly I don't either, if you remember back to even Jacob and Esau, and you remember back even an earlier time, or I should say a later time, where Saul eventually became Paul, these aren't just happenstance things. The reason why names are so important is because it defined who you were back in the day. So when David says, I'm going to bless your name forever and ever, it's the fact that he realizes that God is the true king, the king. And his name will stand out above all others, and he's going to bless his name forever. Verse 11, they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. And I'm going to stop right there before moving on to to verse 16. Because David is going on to expand upon God's kingship here. It's probably a little hard to pick out, but when I think of a king and try to put it in modern-day lingo, I, I think the easiest person that I try to compare a king to is maybe our president. But it's such a hard thing to describe because that's my knowledge base. But if you look back into David's time, a king was so much more than just a leader who maybe proposed policy. In David's time, a king was a big deal because the king is, was your source of food. He was your source of water. He was the one who decreed you could have land and what you could grow on that land. He was your source of protection, amassing the armies, declaring what battles you would be fighting. 
And, of course, they were the spiritual leader, leaders of the peoples back then. So when David is just describing how our eyes look upon you and you give them their food in due season, what he's saying is he's expanding upon God's kingship that, yes, you are our source of food. You are our source of sustenance. Verse 16, you open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. Verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. So David alludes to God's daily provision, but also his Savior, his aspect of being our Savior, especially over time. The, the fourth thing that jumps out to me in this passage is the, the legacy of praise that David is proposing in this passage. And I know I've said this already, but remember, David is, when he writes this, is probably near the, the end of his life here on earth. And, and you can really sense the urgency. I've got to make this poem. I've got to let everybody else know that this is very important. I've got to give somebody something that lasts to let them know that this is a very important thing. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all the earth. Moving on to the last verse of this poem. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Now, I grew up in a Christian home. We went to church three times a week. And really, any time the doors were open, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, if you were having a wedding, it didn't matter if we were invited or not, we were going to be there. I think the downside of that, and believe me, there's uh, plenty of upside, but I think the downside to that is that I've grown up hearing Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Today, today forever, ever, and ever. And these words have, have, for the most part, gotten lost. You know, I kind of understand what they mean, but then I kind of don't. And so that's why I turn to modern-day poetry, such as the Revelation song, I remember the first time I heard the Revelation song. I was walking down this aisle here ready to, uh, to administer communion. 
uh, Jocelyn Rogers was at the piano, and she started singing, Holy, Holy, Holy is, is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Yesterday, today, and forever. So it, it helps put it into perspective a little bit more for me, but I think the, the, the problem is I'm human, and I just don't grasp it. I don't get it. And, and this comes into play when my son asked me about a week ago. He said, okay, I understand where, that God created everything, yada, yada, yada. But where did God come from? Where, where did God come from? And the only thing I could tell him is, you know, that God's always been here. Well, if your understanding is that everything is a season, that you're born and then you die, and that's our earthly understanding, it's very hard to grasp time. Always was, always will be. And so the, the best illustration I've ever seen of this was something Lenny brought to our uh, connection group a couple years ago, and that's the Francis Chan rope illustration. And it's, it's the closest thing I can humanly come to, uh, that I can humanly use to describe time. So if you were ready to cue it up, just hit play. Maybe Tom will hit play. But I'm going to use a rope now because I can't find that computer paper. Um, imagine this rope. Okay, pretend this rope just goes on forever. Okay? Just imagination. Pretend it goes around the world a few times. It doesn't. It ends at the rock. But uh, let's just imagine this thing goes on forever. Now imagine that this rope is a timeline of your existence. It just exists forever. You see this red part? This would represent your time on Earth. You've got a few short years here on Earth, and then you've got all of eternity somewhere else. This is, this is your existence. And what blows me away is some of you, all you think about is this red part. It's all you think about. You're consumed with this. You go, oh man, I can't wait till here. You know, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to save, save, save so I can really enjoy this part right here. <laughs> and you're consumed with that. And you're thinking, oh man, am I going to get to travel? Am I going to eat well? Am I going to do this during this part? And I'm like, are you kidding me? What about this? What about this? What about that? What about all this stuff that's just it's crazy to me because the Bible teaches that what I do during this little red part determines how I'm going to exist for millions and millions and millions of years forever. And, and so why would I spend this little red part trying to make myself as comfortable as possible, enjoying myself as much as I can... Paul says, look, I'm going to live my life for this mission. I'm going to spend my life, invest my life for this moment when I cross that finish line. See, I'm going to forget about all this stuff I could enjoy. And I'm not going to look around. I'm going to be like a runner just looking at that moment when I face God. Because when I face Him, then I don't get this chance over again. We get one chance at this life on earth. 
And it can end at any second for any of us. We've got one chance at this, and then comes eternity. And as I was talking to Ben earlier this week about using this illustration, he reminded me that this rope begins with each one of our lives. When we're talking about God, the rope extends just as far the other way into eternity. He was, he is, and is to come. So when we look at Psalm 145, David realized that he was the end of his portion of that rope. And he was just using whatever tool he could come up with. He didn't have time to chisel this into a rock that was going to last forever. So what he did is he came up with his acrostic poem of Psalm 145 so that this legacy, this legacy of praising the king would extend for generation after generation. He wrote it so that he could, he could explain the best that he could that praising the king is something that we should do every day with everything we have with every letter of the alphabet, from A to Z, everything we have, any word you can possibly come up with includes the whole alphabet or letters of the alphabet. So if we are praising him with the entire alphabet, we're praising him with everything we have. And that the Lord and the praise that we give him It's not just a footnote in Psalm 145 that the king deserves our praise forever and ever. Because as David alludes to, when we trust the Savior today, we are going to be praising him forever and ever. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for David and the work that you did in his life 3,000 years ago, dear Lord, and the effort that he took during his last days to explain how important it is to praise your name with everything we have every single day. And dear Lord, we just pray that you continue to give us the wisdom and place that upon our hearts, that that is something that we do, not only with our tongues, but our actions, our deeds, that we continue to praise you because you are the King. In thy name we pray, amen.